God is good? All the time? You know this line. You know, tell me you know this line. God is good? And all the time? And? And in every way. There's a line that I learned in the um, uh, prisons in Uganda, and it is, and that is his nature. One more time. God is good? And all the time? And that is his nature. And so it is. Guys, I come to you this evening with Thanksgiving. And the Thanksgiving is that uh, your ministry here has certainly kept us going. Your support is real, it's dynamic. We were uh, reaching out doing the correspondence courses. We are in a dire state of uh, total chaos. And Irene and the team have sorted us out. And to God... He gets all the glory for that. I know they'd want that, but we certainly see it in that way too. And to have Ian coming alongside and literally putting an arm over my shoulder, I cannot tell you how much that's meant to, to me personally, but to the prisoners especially. And I'm terrible at getting back to you guys and telling you all the things that's going on, but we have lots and lots of letters come through saying what God has done through those Bible studies. And literally, there are tears on some of the pages where the men have cried and they've sent things in. One of the emphases that we've had this evening is a lot of these men are not thanked, they're not appreciated, and when you ask them what their dads are like and what their mums are like, some of them, it's so horrendous. It is so horrendous Honestly, you'd think they'd they do 10 times more than what they have done. Uh, I was in a, a, something called an act review, which is where a team of people uh, are looking to see how they can help a person, and I broke all protocol, very much like Ian, and during this uh, particular session, I said, I said, tell me, you've, you've told me all the stuff that uh, is so hateful in your life, you've got all the cuts up your arms, has anybody told you that they love you? So exactly the same thing. And these guys have not heard that. They haven't heard it. So how can they believe in the God who loves them if we're not the feet on the ground who are literally going to them and telling them this? So I come, honestly, with uh, a huge grateful heart, but not only for me, on behalf of the prisoners themselves. We get letters from them, and we get hugs from them, and I literally... Uh, have folks saying to me, prisoners saying to me, please tell those markers how much it means to me. They haven't had certificates before, etc., etc. On uh, which day am I on? On Friday, um, uh, four guys told me how it had changed their lives, and I believe them. I believe them. I've seen transformation. Another one was a cutter, and uh, there isn't uh, literally. And I'm not joking. There isn't three millimeters on his legs from there to there on both legs that hasn't been cut. It's the whole lot is, and I'm not swearing, a bloody mess. It absolutely is. There isn't um, three millimeters where he hasn't cut. And as Jesus Christ started to move in his life, as he started to do the studies and he's done them all, um, he, he went to like 60 days and he hadn't cut, etc., etc. And the prison's looking on and they're saying, what's happening to these guys? And I said, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I said, Jesus. And one of the CBT, one of the um, 
um, uh, cognitive therapy guys, he came up to me and he said, you know something? I can tell you this for a fact that when a deity is involved, and I didn't say Jesus, he said when a deity is involved, our counselling is so much easier. And he said, when we get your guys, we know that we're going to have an easy time. Because you've already laid down the principles from Scripture, and they know they can get help from outside of themselves. And this is what we do. We say to them, the Scriptures will guide you, but it's Jesus Christ who saves you. And that's the truth, isn't it? I could tell you, I could tell you endless stories this evening. There is one story that uh, I particularly wanted to tell you, because this fellow started out in Chelmsford, and you will know this person, Ian. And he began in Chelmsford. He could hardly read or write. And now he's very literate, and he's gone through Wayne Gruden's systematic theology. And up on his cell wall, he's got a picture of his uh, systematic theology being presented by one of the governors of the prison. He now holds Bible studies in his cell and I was in there, he, he, he does the best coffee in this particular prison, so I go in there and sit down and have a coffee. You're not supposed to, but um, governor came in once, the number one governor, and he saw me having my cup of coffee, and he said, yeah, it is good coffee in here, isn't it, David? <laughs> and uh, just walked off, it was fine. But guys troop into this guy's cell to pick up their Bible studies that they can do them, which are marked by this team here. And his, his life has been transformed too. Another man in a different prison who is doing these studies, um, he, he had a lot of drug problems, very dysfunctional in his thinking, couldn't put his, his, his thoughts together, couldn't put his words together. Christ began to move in his life in the most glorious way. He started to cling to Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And he went onto his wing... And he went up to the bullies on the wing, and he wasn't a powerfully built guy, he wasn't a weed either, but he wasn't a powerfully built guy. He went up to the bullies on that wing, and he said, you're not selling any more spice on this wing, because this wing belongs to Jesus. Wow. And uh, uh, he came and told me this, whoa, I remember, <laughs> okay. And he's, he's the barber on the wing, and this is what he does. On Sundays, he will cut people's hair he will spend all the money that he's earned that week on canteen, and he will make them fantastic food. He cuts their hair, gives them food, and they all know they get the gospel that day from him. And that's what he does. Amen. He spends all his money on other prisoners. He came back one day from the wing, um, and the guys who were trying to sell the spice, which he said, it's not happening on my wing, they covered his cell in feces. The whole of the cell was covered in feces. He came onto the wing, and three prisoners who were not Christians met him at the door, and they said, you're not going to your cell, you're coming back to ours, because we've got a team of prisoners sorting out your cell. They saw the love of Jesus Christ working in this man, even though they hadn't accepted Christ themselves. And the officers themselves said, because uh, uh, they saw me, they came and saw me, and they said, uh, this is what's happened, this is what the prisoners are doing to, uh, to help this guy out. And it was absolutely amazing. So the cost 
that these guys pay sometimes is incredible. We, we know guys who have gone around with fat lips because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. So it's not an easy thing. Sometimes it's really, really tough. Another guy um, <laughs> he had this big red mark on his forehead, and he was in one of the Bible studies, and I said, uh, what's happened to you? He said, well, you're never going to believe this. He said, but I like prison. What? He said, well, I was on the outside, and I was drinking, and I knew that if I carried on drinking, I would die. He was telling me how many cans of Stella he was getting through a day. So uh, him and his mates were trying to figure out the best way that he could get back into prison. So he picked up a brick, went up to Tesco's window, threw it at the window, it bounced back and hit him in the forehead. (laughs) He then falls on the deck, blood pouring out of his head. Policeman comes up. What's the matter? What's the matter? He said, well, I'm trying to get back to prison. He said, well, I'm not going to help you. And he walked off. So he then goes into Marks and Spencer's, steals a whole load of clothes, walks out like this, sets off all the alarms. Nobody stops him. Gets the, uh, uh, all the magnetic things off, sells it, buys more drink, and he dies again. And then they decided that the best way is if he walked naked down the high street. He was back in prison that evening. But the first thing he did is he signed up for the Bible study. And within six weeks, he came to know Jesus as Lord. Christ is at work in these prisons. It really is absolutely incredible. But very often, we have a window of opportunity. Now, this is often true in church as well. That people will come into church, come in to that Bible study, and you've got an opportunity... And during that time of opportunity, they've got to see a dynamic faith in you. They've got to see the reality and the truth of the scriptures, but they've got to look to God for themselves. And it's at that point that we can either do too much for them, or we can point them to the Lord. And friends, where our love has to be real and dynamic, we must never stand in the place of the Lord. We'll talk about that again in just a few moments. But there's so much I could talk about. I mean, we've now got to the place with the uh, Bible studies. that We've got beautiful study booklets for them. This one is from Major Points from the Minor Prophets. And all of this is because of the work that you're doing here. And I just thank God for you. And it would have folded up that part of the work a long time ago if it wasn't for you. Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This uh, zombie drug, spice, is very prevalent in prisons. Uh, It's very difficult to control. You could put it on a piece of paper like this, and they soak it three times. And an area less than a postage stamp is enough to send somebody right out out of their heads. So the challenges in trying to stop a piece of paper that size, and that would be worth about 300 pounds, um, we had one guy who was making a lot of money, and that's how he's supporting his wife. And uh, she didn't know the source of the money. And uh, he came up to me and he said, David, he said, I keep hearing this, this message from you, and I know I've got to give up selling this stuff in the prison. I know what it's doing to people. So I don't take it myself, but I know what's it, what it's doing, and I've got to pack it in. He said, but I just can't. 
what am I going to say to my wife? How can I support her? And for two weeks, he avoided me. Then he came up to me and he said, David, he said, uh, I've done it. I've told everybody, that's it, it's finished. I'm not doing this anymore. And this, this guy is a strapping guy, really big guy, uh, big muscles and all the rest of it. And he said, but I don't know what to say to my wife. And you know, he wouldn't even telephone her. He was too frightened to telephone her. And he said, but you're telling me to trust the God of the impossible. I said, I am. His wife booked a visit. She went up to him like this. He thought that uh, she was going to deck him. She threw her arms forward, wrapped it around his neck and kissed him. And she said, I've got to tell you something. The money stopped coming from you, and I cried out to the Lord, and I've turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He had no knowledge of this. She turned to Christ as Lord and Savior. The Lord gave her her job, which is a dream job for her, and the income that she was getting matched the illegal money. That, uh, and we've now set them up on a Christian Bible study to do with their marriage and everything. The Lord is good Amen. all the time. Right, turn with me then to, uh, to, to John chapter 3. And I've been told I've got to finish by 10 o'clock, so please don't worry. Okay? No, 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 honestly, I'll be finished shortly. So come with me into John chapter 3. It's going to be a little bit quick, but you've got quick minds and the Holy Spirit's quicker, so we can, we can do okay. There's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's just pause there a moment. Who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. Set aside, very religious, and some of these Pharisees were the good guys. Not all of them were the baddies. He was also a ruler of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus, if you're a Nike man or a Nike lady, you know it means victory. He was a victor over the people, and so he was. We have hundreds, we have thousands of prisoners who are religious. Thousands. And most of them think these religious ones think they are Christians. I get that sound. And yet they're not. This man here, this Pharisee, this Nicodemus, he thinks he knows, but he doesn't. What did he know? Well, look, he knows that Jesus is the rabbi, and rabbi isn't just, just a, a term for a home group leader. Uh, it is a, a, a preacher, a teacher that was well-known and recognized to be such. What else did he know about Jesus? He knew that he'd come from God. He knew that the miracles he did were real, they were genuine, and he knew that God was with him. What didn't he know? Tell me, what didn't he know? He knew the Lord was with Jesus he knew he was the rabbi. He knew he was a teacher. He knew God was with him. What didn't he know? He didn't know he was the son of God. He didn't know he was God walking in the earth. So Jesus said, I've got to just straighten you out on this, right, and tell you. No, he didn't. 
he'd cut him some more slack. And I tell you something, in our own witnessing, we need to be cute. Do you know why the scriptures are so difficult? It's so that the person reading it will wrestle with God. In the beginning, come on, say it with me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing came to being that came to being except through Him. Now, what in the world does that mean? The first time you read that, what did it do to you? It put you in a spin. And I found my father, who had become a Christian a year before me, and I found him, and I said, Dad, what does this mean? He said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, seek the Lord until you find it. And you know, I paced up and down. I wasn't smart enough to read on to verse 14. I mean, you know, you can tell by the kind of people I mix with. But I, it took me two weeks of pacing, two weeks of praying, two weeks of saying, God, what does this mean? And when it dropped on me, I knew that I knew that this Jesus was God. It changed my life. When people get stuck on the scriptures, don't be too quick to jump in and give them an ABC answer. People in our Bible studies, sometimes I drive them to total distraction. David, what does this mean? David, what does that mean? I say, haven't you asked God? Look, I want you to seek God and come back next week and tell me what this means. We need to be having those kinds of conversations with our neighbors and with our friends. Don't lay it out as an ABC. The Bible is written often in such terms, it's a mystery. But it's a mystery that is to be unfolded that they will understand if they've wrestled with God. Are you with me? You see the difference it makes. So you read in uh, John chapter 6 about Jesus, you've got to feed on him. Whoa, what is he? You know, what is this, cannibalism? Listen, seek God. Come back to me and tell me what that means. The biggest thing that we want these men to do is to wrestle with God himself that God, will make these things known to them. Now listen, we've got a, a role to play. We're there to teach. Of course we are. And we are there to teach them how to feed themselves. And that's a big thing for us. We want to teach them how to meditate on the Word. That's the thumb on your hand. That's the one that really has the grip. We want them to read the Word. We want them to study the Word. We want them to apply the Word. We want them to hear the Word. We want them to memorize the Word. We want them to be Word-driven people that are holding on to Jesus Christ. And this man, he comes to Jesus, and, he, and what does Jesus say? Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom, verse 3. Verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again. We have people who are being transformed ideologically, they're being transformed by what they know and their behavior is a little different. But until they can tell me they know Jesus Christ. What's your church motto? To know him and make him known. Unless we know him, there's no real change. 
we're not looking for just shuffling the, the, the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic. We want to see that person putting their hand in the hand of the man that stilled the waters. Jesus was looking for nothing less than this man to be born of God. Now, the encouragement for us is that this didn't happen straight away. Go on to the next chapter and the Samaritan woman, and that seems to happen all in one session. But for Nicodemus, go on to chapter 7, and verse 50 through to 52, and now he's arguing for Jesus. Go on to chapter 19, and he and the secret disciple, Joseph, are going to take the body of Jesus and put it in a tomb. I reckon he's converted by then, don't you? <laughs> but here, chapter 3, I don't think so. And though we're have to be careful about making judgments, we do need to be looking beyond the surface. Listen, if you're a Christian here this evening, you are called to be a physician of souls. Proverbs 11, verse 30, he who is wise wins souls. And we're called to that. And don't feel that you've, you've messed it up if you haven't delivered the whole gospel in one opportunity on that bus or on that train or in that coffee bar, wherever it might be. Maybe your moment was to sow a seed where they would examine something and send you a text afterwards. So this is what's happening here. Jesus then goes on to explain more about what it is to be born from above. And you do, you do sense a little bit of exasperation when you come down to, to, to verse 10. Uh, Nicodemus keeps asking questions. You know, how can I enter a second time in my mother's womb? How can this be? Verse 9. And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things. Verse 11, I do think that he's talking about the Holy Trinity there. Uh, the New King James certainly does because it's got capital W's. And for a guy like me, that's really helpful. But very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. I think that's talking about the Trinity there. I don't think John the Baptist has got it enough. I certainly don't think the disciples have got it enough at that point. And you go on towards the end of the chapter, and I think it's emphasized even more. But here's the thing. Christ is then making things plainer as he goes on in his dialogue. Probably the second most famous verse in the whole of the Bible, for God so loved the world. And here is beginning to, to unpack it. He's beginning to talk about the belief. First of all, it's God who arrests. It's God who opens the eyes. And then there are seven or eight times when he talks about believe. And this is where we have a massive problem with our prison population who think because they believe a whole load of facts about Jesus that they're Christians. The example that Jesus gives here is about believing 
is in the Old Testament, and Moses had to lift up the serpent on a bronze snake, and they had to look to the problem and lift it to God. That's action. I am looking for a faith in these men and women where they are only saying, I believe this about Jesus, I believe that about Jesus, but just like that friend of mine who had to trust God for his income and say, Jesus is Lord over my life, I'm looking for that. They say, oh, David, hold on a sec, isn't that works? No, it's not. None of those guys, including me, are going to work, uh, walk perfect before the Lord. And none of our works will count towards our salvation, not even a smidgen. But it's a demonstration that they believe Jesus. And I said to some guys, I've got uh, four children, and uh, I'm, I'm real blessed that all of them are walking with the Lord. And I said, imagine the prison is a chaplain. And some of them know my, my youngest son because he's, he's preached in a lot of prisons. He's a chaplain for a time at um, um, Brixton. I said, imagine this. And I'm walking along the side of a river with my son. And I said, we get on real well. I can start a conversation and he'll finish it. And we're, we're right in the, the same groove. And we're walking to this waterfall just about another 300 meters further down. And you go over there, you're dead. And we're walking down there. We're talking, shooting the breeze. And next minute, we look across. And there's a guy in the river flowing towards this waterfall. My son looks at me, and he just takes his jacket off, kicks off his shoes, and he goes in. He's a good swimmer. He's a fast swimmer as well. Takes this guy pulls him over to the riverbank. I take him by the hand, pull him out, but my son is literally swept to his death. Guy's on the riverbank. He gets up, and he says, stupid kid, and walks away. What would you do with a guy? Right. I know what you're thinking. You might be too... Christian to say it, but uh, you'd want to chuck him back in, right? And there's a kind of a justice about that. Now, listen, I know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, otherwise the pastor's going to have a word with me afterwards. But listen, you read on in this passage, and what does it say? God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. If I feel that about somebody who wouldn't care about my son who laid down his life, how much more will it be that on that great day when we stand before God Almighty, when he sent his son to die on that cross and shed his blood and take the pain, not only the physical suffering, but every single sin that you have committed and I have committed in his body on that day, and we say it doesn't matter. We stand condemned. 
I told that story and a prisoner came to me in absolute floods of tears. He said, I've taken it for granted what Jesus Christ has done. And I've chosen not to believe upon him. This day, I choose Jesus. My friend, it might be that you'll hear this evening and you know the facts about Jesus. But you haven't really trusted him. Perhaps you're going through some awful relationship problem. Perhaps you're going through some economic difficulty. Who knows what you're going through? God does. And God is telling you to trust him through his son, Jesus. Not just for the thing, but to trust him with your life. That you might know his forgiveness. You might know his love. You might know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ moving through you. I want to pray. I want you to join with me, please, in this prayer. To pray for prisoners. To pray for ourselves. That we truly might know, not just about this Jesus, but we might know this Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you were very merciful to Nicodemus. And though it didn't happen on that occasion, as far as we can tell, we're really sure it did happen over a period of time. And there'd be some here, maybe brought up in a, in a Christian home even, who've read much of the Bible, like Nicodemus. And yet, as yet, cannot say, I really know the Lord. Cannot say, I have been born of God. I am his child. He is my father. And Lord, I pray in the precious name, the name of he who shed his blood, that you'd extend your loving kindness right now, Lord, to that person, to those people they might come and bow the knee and call upon the Savior. And Lord, there's usually something that they have to trust you for. And that thing will be impossible. Something that men cannot do. Lord, tonight, may the God of the impossible Answer that prayer. And Lord, we know it won't be in the way they want it to be answered, but in the way that you choose it to be answered, thus showing yourself as both Lord and Savior. And Lord, I want to publicly thank you for these people here tonight, the great ministries that they have in the prisons, in all the different formats that that takes. And I pray, Lord, you'd hedge them around, you'd protect them, that Jesus Christ would be known throughout those ministries. Amen. Amen, Amen. and God bless you, and thank you for all you're doing. Really appreciate it.